0: Okay, ready? 3 <laughs> 2
1: 1 Oh. Well, it's well, I got to set that <laughs> as my actual ringtone. <laughs> I should I'm going to do that too. Uh, what are we doing here? Do you remember this? Do you remember doing this?
0: Uh, I think it involves talking into a mic about dinosaurs.
1: My favorite thing.
0: Hello and welcome to season 2. Wow. A Real beast podcast.
1: We are your hosts. My name is Ben. My name is David. Welcome back everyone. It's good to have you listen to us. It's good to see you, Ben, even <laughs> it's though it's good still to see through you Zoom. Too,
0: David, your mustache is more <laughs> magnificent than ever before.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I uh I I did some trimming on it recently because it was getting really quite uh obtuse. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Um, It was getting in my food, and I was like, this is not going to work long-term mustache. (laughs) So I cleaned it up, but it is kind of, it's still, I think it's fuller than it has been in the past for sure, getting there. For those of you who don't know my face, I have a handlebar mustache, and it's a part of me deeply at this point. (laughs) The man got married in that mustache. I did. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about some things that have happened since, We last did an episode of Real Beasts. Um, I did get married. It was great. Some of our listeners were there. Thank you all for joining us. It was so much fun. It was perfect. It was great. Um, Yeah, uh, best time I've had in a very, 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 very long time. Um, Ben, what's new with you? What's happened for you in your life since we last recorded?
0: I've been running a lot of races and doing all manner of other competitive things, including science communication competitions. Amazing. So, yeah, it's been fun. I love it. And I feel like I'm just about as as fit as I've ever been, which is a nice thing
1: in this Ugh. busy time of ours. That's lovely. I've really taken the the post-wedding uh, laziness to a new extreme. I have not exercised or done anything like that in... Uh, frankly, months. But I'll get back into it. It's good. You're, you're my inspiration here, Ben.
0: <laughs> well, all we need is a carnivorous dinosaur or two, oh. and we'll set up a few chase gauntlets, and yeah. it'll just be a quick trip to run fast or get eaten.
1: Yeah, that's what I need. I See, I need, the stakes aren't high enough when I just go try and do like my little push-ups and my sit-ups. I, I need to work out because my life depends on I guess it actually does. Yeah. But over the, too long a sense. time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we exactly. need to contract the time scale. <laughs> well, David and I indeed used to be gym friends, gym buddies. That's right. We were we were not quite gym rats, gym mice. <laughs> gym mice, I think, describes it quite well. We stayed well
0: clear of the gym rats.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of a uh, really large uh reptilian creatures at the gym and you gotta be like an ancient mammal and sneaking around <laughs> under under their toes and stuff in order to survive
0: it's true <laughs> but you know there was a there's a couple papers showing that some of the mammals were eating dinosaurs occasionally
1: shut up that's what I'm yes. talking about mammals yeah.
0: it was funny because like uh, my advisor he was giving a lecture and he was just like yeah it shows we were fighting back <laughs> I' was like yeah amazing I love it because otherwise yeah it was kind of a it was a dinosaur's world back then
1: <laughs> sure was the 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 mesozoic the age of reptiles I'm
0: imagining like, a new version of that one song like this is a man's world <laughs> except with dinosaurs yes i I see it and now it's now it's the opposite now it's a mammal's world it's a mammal's world <laughs> But it wouldn't be nothing, nothing (laughs) without a scaly reptile.
1: Man. You know what, Ben? I guess the the folks (laughs) come to (laughs) listen to us talk about movies. We should probably
0: give them a movie to talk about, and we have a darn good one today. Or by good, we mean bad, but also good. By good, we mean
1: a lot of fun to watch.
0: (laughs) And one you might be more familiar with because it's higher profile than most of the movies that we talk about on the it podcast. Is.
1: It is. Yeah, that's true. We're kind of going back to, uh, well, not our roots. I guess our roots for real beasts would be land before time. We're mm-hmm. not doing uh, the third land before time, but we are doing the third of a different dinosaur series. We're going
0: back to our canopy where we expanded the most. <laughs>
1: oh, there we go. Actually, and reached the most light. Yeah, very true.
0: <laughs> and that is Jurassic Park. Are we talking about Jurassic Park 1? No, nope. we covered that. Are we Did talking that. about Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World? Nope, ben we May also done that. covered that. We are talking about Jurassic Park, the third. The third?
1: <laughs> That's right. We know what y'all want, and y'all want to hear about the best sci-fi horror movie that is the tertiary entry in a series that we thought was going to stop with said entry, and then it kept going. Yep. Oh, boy.
0: Uh, yeah. they keep but we're making not there yet. <laughs> this movie came out in 2001.
1: The same year as Shrek. Wow. Oh, wow. So my Shrek the Third joke kind of landed in a weird yeah, way. It did. To put this in perspective of what was popular at the time.
0: <laughs> and I was actually in Europe when this movie came out visiting my grandfather Whoa, really? And I was seeing trailers for it on TV in Europe, and I was like, we need one flight for Ben Faulkner direct <laughs> to America, <laughs> USA land. <laughs> Right now, because I cannot be here not watching this movie another second.
1: Yeah, no, like, Europe is cool, but like America's got Jurassic Park. We gotta go oh back. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> I was so excited.
0: And this movie features some really interesting dinosaur characters, which is what I cared about way more than the human characters. Oh, yeah. Because this is the movie in which Spinosaurus rose to prominence instead of T-Rex, which I had very mixed
1: feelings about as a
0: kid and still do today. But we'll get into that shortly.
1: Yeah. What do you want out of a Jurassic Park movie? You want them to go to the island. You want them to run from dinosaurs. And you do want some people to be eaten. You know, Mm -hmm. you got to know the stakes. And you want each new movie to showcase a new dinosaur that we have not seen yet in a Jurassic Park film. And this one does all of that. So what's not to like, Ben? Well, what's not to like is that this movie
0: is pretty bad. <laughs> it's n- not that good. <laughs> yes, that's that's, that's true. And, and they kind of continue <laughs> the same pattern of, okay, for The Lost World, you bring back Ian Malcolm, mm-hmm. arguably the most beloved character from the first Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And then for this next sequel, you bring back Dr. Grant. Who yeah. I identified more with Dr. Grant as a kid because- I was more of a grant. I was a paleontology minded person. So I was very excited to see him come back for this. But the way that he's used, I think he does a pretty good job. But it's just such a strange movie. And it really changes it the tone. Because it does. even though Jurassic Park 1 and 2 have plenty of comedic
1: elements, I wouldn't say that they're silly. Yeah. And this movie is silly. This movie's real silly. It's also funny that you related to Doctor Grant because I always related to uh, Ian Malcolm. <laughs> the, yeah, I think the chaotician, I think we've, Sure, we've
0: continued to embody our characters to this day.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie—I mean, from the get-go, the from the very first moment, I think it—it's cluing you into the fact that this movie is not the sci-fi kind of horror classic that the original movie is. And it's not trying to be that like the second movie attempted. Uh Yeah. (laughs) It is its own. It it is telling you right out the gates when you see the initial title, the classic Jurassic Park logo. And then suddenly like out of a campy ass B movie, something slashes three lines through the (laughs) logo with like a little sudden like, huh? (laughs) I noise, know. And you're like, instantly, you're like, okay, well, this is just, this movie is going to be a goofball of a of a thing. But it still is, it's still got all the things that you want in a Jurassic Park movie. So, like, let's find out why it's not so good. Yeah, ben, you know, should, and we, should we talk through this plot?
0: We should. And we're going to do it in a new way today. We're going to try something. Because I think what we want to do for season two that we've talked about for all of three minutes before we started recording uh-huh. is be... <laughs> More serious, but by serious, we don't mean serious. We mean consistent with what you can expect to listen to. (laughs) So you have an idea. And I think our idea is that we're going to try to do a quick plot summary, but by quick, we mean actually quick by setting a timer and doing it in 10 minutes or fewer. Exactly. So we can kind of get into the fun stuff of where David and I have a great time diving into all the things we love and hate about the movie and Mm really not getting bogged down like we often do in every step of the plot, which is also really fun for us, but leads to episodes being really long.
1: Yeah. We, we're we going to try and not have so many hour and a half episodes and also no four-part uh, series. Right. So this is a one and done. <laughs> I'm calling it now.
0: Jurassic Park 3, David... In a nutshell, what the hell happens in this movie? I'm setting a timer for 10 minutes and you will hear the satellite phone of Jurassic Park 3 <laughs> ring when the timer completes.
1: Amazing. Okay. So, I mean, the nice thing about this movie is we all kind of know the plot already. It's Jurassic Park. But in this one, the reason that they end up on the island is 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 slightly different. So, and worse and worse, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the idea for this movie is there is a a kid who went what hang gliding or whatever parasailing parasailing. Excuse me, uh, he went parasailing with like his his family friend, somebody, the the people towing them on their boat, presumably get eaten by dinosaurs. We don't actually see what happens to them. Long story short, this kid and his and his guardian, who's not one of his parents end up on the island the Jurassic Park island
0: the second one
1: it's on not Sorna. actually yes it's not Isla Nublar which is the island that was featured in uh the original Jurassic Park wait are they on Isla Nublar in The Lost World Jurassic Park They're on
0: Sorna in in The Lost World ah. so they're on the same island as Sorna this time that okay. comes up a little bit later
1: in the plot So so Isla Sorna which is the is site B for InGen, which is the company that, you know, uh, Hammond, John Hammond uh, has, and he develops the DNA of dinosaurs and blah, blah, blah. You know this story. So this kid crashes on this island, and Dr. Grant, Dr. Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, he is out there still doing his paleontology thing, and he actually has now evolved his theory of velociraptors so much so that instead of just being super smart pack hunters, he thinks. Had there not been an asteroid that hit Earth, uh, it was probably Velociraptors that would have invented capitalism and built uh, skyscrapers. <laughs> they, and- they,
0: he goes and because he's now friends with Doctor Sattler, which I think is—I actually really like this. That he's friends with Doctor Sattler, but they're not a couple. So he's—I like it too. Yeah, he's—he's he's there, you know, playing with Doctor Sattler's kid, playing mm-hmm. dinosaur games, hilariously actually, because it's just yeah. like. He's just like, no, actually, that one's a carnivore. And uh, and then Dr. Sattler's like, uh, maybe wait a few years. Yeah, the kid Alan. doesn't, the,
1: the yeah. kid's, it's fine. <laughs> it's
0: but he's fine. studying velociraptors still, <laughs> still studying velociraptors in North America, which didn't exist. And their digs are running out of money. So there's a bit of a problem there. But he has mm-hmm. a young protege who's helping him do stuff there. But we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But uh, he says like, he's talking to Dr. Sattler. He's like, do you remember the sounds they made? Ellie, they were smart. They were smarter than dolphins or whales. Ellie, they were smarter
1: than primates. And it's like, what? Where did? This, what? what are you talking about? Anyway, continue. Sure. W- why not? <laughs> why not? Maybe they were. So anyway, he's, he's. I'm. I'm glad you mentioned his dig. His. Uh. His funding is drying up. So there, he has to go basically cater to all these people who, uh, might be able to fund his dig. And he is approached by some folks who say that they own a company called Kirby Enterprises. <laughs> and they're like, Hey, we, we our anniversary is coming up. We want to, we want to fly over the Island and we want you to just point out some dinosaurs and help us have a good time. That's their story. And Dr. Grant's like, no, I don't want to fucking do that. I dealt with John Hammond, rich people, but, and then uh, Dr. Grant's, I, what, what is he a research assistant who is who is this kid billy to dr grant yeah he's, I like think a, he's just sort of like a guy
0: yeah he's a field helper guy i'm not sure what exactly his title is and give me one second i gotta let uh, my roommate's dog outside <laughs> oh sure go for it <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit this out
1: all is well. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Um. So, anywho, Billy counsels Dr. Grant and says, you know, they they might be able to help fund our dig. Like, you should probably help them out. Just do it. Grin and bear it. Whatever. And Dr. Grant's like, fine, I'll do it. But you're coming with me because you're getting me roped into this shit. So, they, they agree to go. And assume this is just a flyover of the island and look at fun things basically like a glorified safari tour guide right yeah and um, they're
0: like it has to be you you're the best
1: yeah Unbe- and this is all because they know Dr Grant Dr Grant is essentially a famous paleontologist not because of his research but because he went to and survived Jurassic Park right mm-hmm. um and so like there's a there's a funny scene where he's giving a-, a a presentation at a you know at a university or something it's a research presentation He's talking about raptors and then everybody has a question about his experience at Jurassic Park not about his research and it's kind of a funny moment where he's like come on I'm still a scientist and everyone's Does like anybody yeah but you're also not an have a question
0: related to Jurassic Park <laughs> yeah. or the incident <laughs> in San Diego and then the person who still has their hand raised still asks a question about Jurassic Park oh yeah yeah, that's, yeah. and we'll do. get to that question later because
1: that's actually something I want to talk about but oh perfect we'll save so, it so Anywho, unbeknownst to Dr. Grant, these people who have approached him are actually the parents of the child who has been marooned on Isla Sorna, and their real plan is to land their plane on the island and go looking for their child, and they basically kidnap Dr. Grant and Billy, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like some of the mercenaries that they took with them didn't really know what what they were getting involved with either. How could they? How could they? I mean, you don't know Jurassic Park unless you've been there and experienced it. So, anywho, I I feel like that's kind of the plot. Like, once you're on the island, it's general dinosaur shit and shenanigans, and their plane gets destroyed because of the Spinosaurus. We'll we'll get to specific scenes later, but, like, that's basically it. That's why they're on the island. They do find the kid. He's alive, and then they got to get off the island.
0: Yeah, and it's basically once you get to the island, like all of that machination in the beginning was just getting them to the island. Once you get to the island, it's almost like the whole movie breathes a sigh of relief. It's like, yeah. oh, thank God that part's over. Now we can yeah. just have a bunch of runarounds with dinosaurs. <laughs> and and they are actually, some of them are great. Mm-hmm. Some of the set pieces are great. We'll get into that. But yeah. they just run around the island millions of times. There's a little bit of a subplot with velociraptors in terms of, Stealing some Velociraptor eggs and Mm -hmm. having that propel some of the Velociraptor related encounters that goes on throughout the film. But then it just becomes, yeah, them getting off the island alive with Mm -hmm. the kid. And then there's this sort of secondary subplot of the parents of the kid, Eric Kirby, are sort of not together anymore at the time they're separated but maybe not divorced but yeah Yeah, they're separated and so you know this death defying experience gives them a chance to come back together a la
1: any number of other kind of hallmark movie plots exactly and and i guess to be fair there are some of those moments that work but generally, this is not a movie where you care about any of the human characters. We care about Dr. Grant because it's Dr. Alan Grant. We, you know, He's mm-hmm. from the original. We love him. Uh, can't wait to see him in the new one. But do we give a shit about Billy? Uh, yeah. No. Do we give a shit about the kid, Eric Kirby? Uh, yeah. Do I give a shit about the parents? Uh, I love William H. Macy. He's fantastic. If you haven't seen the show Shameless, go watch it. He's amazing. (laughs) Shameless plug for that. But I will say that all of these actors do not phone in their performances, and that's one of the things that I think makes this movie better than most other campy kind of B horror movies because it 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 really commits to what it is. It's not the original Jurassic Park. It's not the sequel. It's its own thing. And it's goofy just as much as it is cool. And it's just, it's, it's God's own vibe. It's very strange, but yeah, yeah. I think that's the plot. Did I miss anything? The no, satellite that's, phone.
0: That's pretty much it. And well, we'll, talk about that in the, the satellite uh, phone. An yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, at the, like, uh, basically the way that they're bailed out of the situation is really silly. Yeah. And it involves a satellite phone, so we'll
1: we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that too. (laughs)
0: All right, I'm declaring it a sub ten minute plot summary. And now we get to hear the most important part of this. The infamous (laughs) Which means we can continue our episode. Because the next plot point of our episode is coming.
1: Oh yeah. So if if you're if you don't get like a a neurological if your ears don't prick up I don't know how to say this, we'll edit it out or not, whatever. <laughs> if your ears don't prick up when you hear that noise, you don't love Jurassic Park enough. Because I have known that sound, the satellite phones ring since i saw this movie which probably was in like 2001 as soon as it came out on video i did not see this in theaters uh i was like we're getting it we bought it on dvd and my parents were both like this movie sucks compared to the original which my dad liked and i was like yeah but it's got dinosaurs so i love it but let's talk about that satellite phone for a quick second because you hear that ring many, many, many times in this movie. And it, oh, yeah. it gets to the point where it sort of memes itself. It's ridiculous. It's hilarious. But it's important. And it's important because it's something in filmmaking called a MacGuffin. Ben, have you ever heard of a MacGuffin? Do you know what that is? I've
0: heard a MacGuffin. It sounds kind of like an Egg McMuffin, but it does a different thing.
1: <laughs> it does do a different thing. Um, In, in filmmaking... It's as much an art as it is a science and a just swirl of chaos uh, and a bunch of people trying to make something cool. Um, And in filmmaking, we have all these terms for different things. And a MacGuffin is the word for a plot device that drives the story, right? So uh, the MacGuffin in this movie is the satellite phone because A... Once you're on the island, you have no way of getting off the island until you call someone with that satellite phone. Mm -hmm. So you need that satellite phone. And in this movie, there's one mercenary guy who has it, who is eaten by the Spinosaurus. So they lose the phone. But then they hear the ringtone and they realize, oh, it's in the Spinosaurus's belly. Everyone run. And then they hear it again later and they're like, oh, shit, Spinosaurus is nearby. Oh, no, it's just a pile of poop we got to get the phone out of the poop. And then they're able to use it to call um, Dr. Sattler to get, help them get off the Island. So the satellite phone in this movie, I'd say is the MacGuffin. Some movies have maybe multiple MacGuffins, sometimes only one, Um, a MacGuffin could be lots of different things. It could be a, uh, it could be a, you know, excuse me, an inanimate object. Uh, it could be a character. It could be an idea. It could be, a, you know, so, an aspect of something. It could be lots of things. Let's think it of. It could some, be a person. It could be a person. Let's think of some famous McGuffins or good examples of McGuffins in, in storytelling. Right. Um, The white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. Her whole adventure starts because she's like, I got, Oh, I got to follow that white rabbit. He's late. Let's, Let's go after him. And her entire adventure happens and continues moving on because she keeps seeing the white rabbit and keeps chasing after him, mm-hmm. right? Um, the the Maltese Falcon, the statue of the Maltese Falcon in the story of the Maltese Falcon. Everyone, it's all revolves around that. Um, the suitcase in Pulp Fiction is a great example because we never actually find out what's in the suitcase, and in fact, what's in the suitcase is unimportant because the suitcase itself is what propels the story and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the one ring in the Lord of the Rings is the MacGuffin. Wow. Uh in the Iliad, I looked this one up, this was funny. In the Iliad, which is uh, you know, Homer's ancient Greek tale, uh, the beauty of Helen of Troy is the MacGuffin because everybody is obsessed with how beautiful she is, and they fight a war over her beauty. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Uh, Private Ryan, the person in the movie (laughs) Saving Private Ryan. So this is is what a MacGuffin is. Sorry, I interrupted you.
0: No, I just never would have thought of that as a MacGuffin because it's so integral to everything that it almost seems to transcend that role. Because when I hear the word MacGuffin, I kind of think of like silly MacGuffins.
1: Yeah like it's yeah. a
0: silly word and i think of silly things and this satellite phone here is bordering on pretty silly as we go because the movie it does involve like people getting eaten by dinosaurs but amidst mm-hmm. that there's just like this cell phone that's just ringing the entire movie basically continuously mm-hmm. until they get it back and it yeah. just every time you hear it you know something Spinosaurus-y is happening
1: yeah, and it and it every time you hear that ringtone a new set piece is being introduced. So they they first hear it uh when you meet the mercenaries and they're training for yep. this trip uh-huh. that they're going to do. Uh the next time you hear the cell phone ring uh I think is once it's already in the belly of the spinosaurus. It's already eaten the guy who had it and then you hear yeah, it I and they so. look over and there's the spinosaurus. But you hear it and then the Spinosaurus chases them into the aviary where the pterosaurs are. Um right. the next time yeah. you hear it, it's in a big pile of the Spinosaurus's poop and they're and they're going on the river and you see the was that a carna, Carnotaurus? Or, or It was something? a Ceratosaurus. Ceratosaurus intimidated by all this poop. Um so yeah, so that's what a MacGuffin is. I wanted to mention it because I was reading an in an article about this movie that mentioned that the satellite phone is the MacGuffin of the story. And I, and I'd like to, another thing we'd like for season two is to start bringing in some of those kinds of little tidbits about filmmaking and, you know, ideas and vocabulary and all that kind of stuff. So that's what, if anyone has any questions about what a MacGuffin is, hit me up. Um, (laughs) So that's the satellite phone. It's, it's an important aspect of this movie and in a very silly way, which I think, uh works for the tone of this movie. It's just as scary as it is silly. And somehow it works not a hundred percent of the time, but Yeah. I yeah. think the
0: way that it you you mentioned that it sort of memes itself is because they aren't subtle about it at all. Not like, one as bit. As soon as yeah. they lose the phone, <laughs> the phone is introduced early and it's not like a Chekhov's gun thing. This is like you're getting whack-a-mold by this throughout the
1: movie constantly. Yeah, and it probably goes off like seven times.
0: And as soon as they lose it, <laughs> they initially are, there is a scene in which they're chased by some velociraptors towards the beginning of the movie, and they're mm-hmm. up in the trees. And then Paul Kirby, someone is like, so where's the satellite phone? And and Mr. Kirby, who's Eric's dad, and you know one of the protagonists here is just like, I gave it to Nash before he, before he. Because he had just Nasher just got eaten by the Spinosaurus, so they're just like, okay, we have the phone. The phone has been eaten, and they explicitly tell you that. Mm-hmm. And then when we hear it again in the Spinosaurus's belly, that actually triggers the reunite moment between Eric and his family. Yeah, because they're like the basically one of the better set pieces in my opinion of this movie is when they first get chased by the Velociraptors. It was a cool scene, because they go into mm-hmm. the old hatchery, basically, which was where they used to be doing all of their final stages of the genetic engineering process, like the old nursery. And kind of the what we learned from the book and sort of from the second movie is that Isla Sorna was really the major breeding ground for Jurassic Park. Basically... Mm-hmm. Most of the dinosaurs we see on Isla Nublar in Jurassic Park really hatched on Isla Sorna. That used mm-hmm. to be the major place where this was all happening. Then they just get shipped over to Isla Nublar. And the whole idea that everything was self-contained on that one island is sort of a, an illusion. Right. So they, could, they have all is of their, it... like, broken down old crap on Isla Sorna just sitting there, including an old hatchery. And there's a cool scene in which they're looking at all the old specimens and stuff. And then there's, oh, lo and behold, it looks like there's a velociraptor in a tube. And then what Uh-oh. happens? <laughs> <laughs> it's a,
1: it's again, it's a scene that is cool and also kind of goofy because Mrs. Kirby walks up to this, you know, tube, this big cylinder filled with liquid and sees a velociraptor head in there and she gets all close up to it. And then suddenly its eye moves. And it is a, a frightening sequence because suddenly, oh shit, it's it's real, it's alive. And then it's, you know, it and other raptors are chasing them through the hatchery. It's a it's an yeah. awesome scene in terms of how thrilling it is, how how much fun it is, you know, lots yeah. of action, blah, blah, blah. But if you stop and think about it, was that Velociraptor pretending to be inside the tube in order to surprise <laughs> Mrs. Kerb? Like, what? I mean, well, I don't know. I (laughs)
0: guess you could say that it was just staying still as part of its ambush techniques. But, like, in terms of something that a dinosaur would know how to do, like, it's basically standing behind something completely transparent. Yeah. Whereas, you know, normally if you have an ambush predator hiding behind something or in the long grass or something, it's like, okay, that makes sense. So you're... Mm -hmm. this is And this has to do with the Velociraptor's super pumped-up intelligence that they have in these movies. But, yeah, the idea is it's sort of pretending to be one of these inanimate dead bodies around here. Yeah. And it just jumps in there. And actually right before that is a scene I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. because one of my favorite scenes that was always in the trailers too is as they walk into this hatchery, suddenly the focus of the camera shifts and you see a blurry raptor just run past in the background. Mhm. It way in the background. Yeah. But if you know your Jurassic Park lore, you know that that's a velociraptor and you know that's how they run.
1: Yeah. It's so that true. That was cool. I like that. That was kind of neat. And that's why I think this movie is better than a lot of people give it credit for because there are some really smart little like tidbits that they just sprinkle into this movie um like that is a good moment I think that make it feel like okay, this this does feel like it's a B-movie horror movie, but it's smarter and better than most of those. I would I would sort of like equate it like if the original Jurassic Park is Jaws, which was uh-huh. also directed by Steven Spielberg, but let's say it's on the level of like it blew people's minds when it was released. It changed filmmaking history. You know, its special effects were, you know, revolutionary. Jaws was too, to a certain extent. Jaws was the very first blockbuster, right? Yeah. You know, summer blockbuster action flick. Um, changed a lot about culture, filmmaking tactics, you know, what's po- thinking about what's possible, blah, 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 blah. I would say Jurassic Park 3 then is like Evil Dead, which is mm-hmm. a campy, low budget. Brilliant, amazing horror movie. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. It's Sam Raimi's a, a magnificent director. He also ended up directing, uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider Man movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's great. But Evil Dead is pretty campy, and there are things that happen in it that are silly and at the same time scary. Which is why I would equate this Jurassic Park to Evil Dead, um, and I think. There are certain moments that make me think of that. There's a moment when Billy has parasailed to save Eric Kirby from the pterosaur chicks, and then he ends up falling into the river, and he's getting pecked, presumably to death, Uh by pterosaurs. And the camera is panning along with him as he floats down the river, like, trying to defend himself. And then in the foreground, (laughs) there's another pterosaur that just, is watching this happen and then turns its head and looks directly into camera and then it cuts to Dr. Grant like the pterosaur is looking at Grant. But it looks into camera first and it's like, okay, this is like frightening but also like, what
0: is happening? I know. It's just goofy. It's great. (laughs) It's setting this precedent that's used in the Jurassic World movies that we'll come to later of Mm -hmm. dinosaurs like almost being so
1: silly as to break the fourth wall. Yeah. It's almost like like the dinosaurs can wink at the audience because we're all in on this fucking joke. Yeah, exactly. It's just (laughs) like that. And I mean, there
0: are other one-liners in this movie that are kind of so hamily delivered, even by Dr. Grant, like in that Velociraptor set piece scene, which I thought was really great, where they're basically running through the hatchery, escaping this mm-hmm. pack of raptors, which looked really different in this movie, by the way, than they do in the other ones. Yeah, but, I
1: wanted to ask you about that. I'll, I'll ask about it later. Yeah, we'll
0: come to that in the science section. There's so much to get into with the science section. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, but he just like, one of them gets stuck behind a door because they kind of trap it, and it goes... <gasps> oh yeah and he goes and he Dr. Grant just stops and goes oh my god it's calling for help (laughs) and this ties exactly into the like vocalization plot point that they were having because Billy made a 3D like a 3D printed basically version of the resonating chamber of Velociraptor earlier in the movie and that was like he was so proud of it and Dr. Grant's like it's brilliant Billy just too late because like basically he thought like this wouldn't save their dig in terms of getting enough funding mm-hmm. to keep it going.
1: Oh, I and thought so, he meant because there are already real raptors with functioning reservation, or oh, what is it? Resonation uh, chambers? chambers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which well, actually, is what, like a be. vocal cord, kind of? It is. The
0: the idea is it's the path that the air could travel and resonate through, mm-hmm. but we don't have the soft tissue So it's kind of like the entire bony cavity in which the air could be resonating in. And Uh. the good news and bad news is we can sort of constrain the possibilities broadly of the sounds an animal could make. But the soft tissue is really what defines exactly what sounds the animals could make. So it's kind of like they've tried to do similar things with Parasaurolophus, the crested duck-billed dinosaur with its big Mm tube-like horn on mm-hmm. its head it's not really a horn it's just like a it's filled with it's a nasal passage mm-hmm. and so people have basically turned those into giant tubas that's their resonating chamber tried mm. to blow air through it to see what they would have sounded like
1: well, that which is kind of cool Parasaurolophus just walking in here
0: <laughs> but yeah but that's what they're trying to do with velociraptor and i think one of my favorite parts about this movie is that the resonating chamber when you blow through it sounds terrible It doesn't sound like the raptors in the movie very much at all And I kind of love that Because it shows That's kind of like how close you could get With like a crappy 3D printed thing When you're estimating based on the cavities and the bones based Relative to how a real Velociraptor would sound Mm. Like the real Velociraptors are like And then this resonating chamber sounds like Like it just sounds terrible But I kind of love it it's yeah. like it's like a literal actual like prop that they're blowing into.
1: Yeah, and it ends up saving the day later because that's how Doctor Grant confuses the other Raptors. <laughs> yeah. He pulls this thing out and blows through it. It's almost and like the, the magic launch like, from time? SpongeBob. What? He blows through right it, now? and the Raptors like, what? Are you, what? I mean, he what probably said that? something it's wildly like offensive. Really I really offensive you be or just like,
0: wow, you have just you're tone deaf yeah I can't a... listen to this <laughs> you' are singing in the wrong key buddy oh, man it's great there's yeah. one
1: there was one other thing that I wanted to mention really quickly uh, do, are you aware that the 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 last mercenary who survives in this movie uh is the same actor who plays Mr noodle from Elmo's playhouse Elmo's playhouse I, on Sesame Street absolutely didn't know that yeah. That's right. And then he gets brutally murdered by a velociraptor. Wow. And in this movie, it's partic- this movie is particularly brutal. Yeah. Out of all of the Jurassic Parks, this one is actually quite unafraid to do some pretty gnarly shit on screen. The, the raptors leave Mr. Noodle alive on the ground <laughs> after they've already attacked him to entice the other humans down from the tree they're hiding in. And when Mrs. Kirby is like, oh, my God, he's moving. He's still alive. Let's help him. She tries to get out of the tree. And, of course, the raptors are waiting for them, right? Um, Springing traps. And and then the raptors just, like, step on Udeski's back and stab him with their toe claw. And then they just grab his head and they break his neck. It's, like, brutal stuff. You know,
0: I've got to say, I really like that scene in terms of, like, if you watch, like, a heron eat something, there's sort of like a. It has no consideration for the feelings of the thing that it's eating. <laughs> like it will just yeah. eat a gopher hole or it will just, you know, mm-hmm. decapitate something. And it just the way that the raptor starts to eat you, Dusty, and then kind of just like side eyes off into the distance as if it just couldn't care less about it. I actually really liked that. Yeah, it it, it doesn't made it, seem made like the you raptor got scary. for food. Yeah. yeah. And it, it also made it I liked how it made the velociraptors seem more like an animal. And that's mm-hmm. what so what I wanted to circle back to is that in the Q&A session that you referenced during the plot summary, when Dr. Grant is answering questions. The one question is, "So if you had a chance to go to this island and study these animals, would you do it?" Mm-hmm. And he says, "What John Hammond and Ingen did was create theme park monsters, nothing more and nothing less." And that was so fascinating because literally what did Dr. Grant say to Lex in the first Jurassic Park movie when they were singing to the Brachiosauruses? Lex, they're not monsters. They're just animals. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what
1: happened? Yeah, What happened, Dr. Grant? Is that lazy writing or is Dr. Grant uh, bitter?
0: I actually don't know. And I think it's lazy writing.
1: Could be.
0: I think it's lazy writing, but I don't know. that. We'll, I could be wrong. We'll see what he
1: says in Jurassic World Dominion and see yeah, if he's come true. full circle and is like, actually, uh, they're just animals.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I know. It, well, that was just interesting to me because I thought that so many of the sections of this movie have dinosaurs acting like pantomime villains. But in the one case <laughs> of this raptor eating dusky, I was like, oh, it looks like a bird eating something. Yeah. And that, I kind of yeah. like that. Yeah, it is It cool. kind of... Uh, it made the i thought it made them scarier because it stopped making them seem like they were silly characters from some kind of like play
1: mhm yeah there's a lot of things going on in this movie that are very silly but but the the raptors are less silly than you expect them to be given how silly so much else is <laughs>
0: And speaking of silliness, I think before we get to the dinosaur section, which will also tie into some of the important set pieces in the film, so Mm -hmm. we're going to get to some of these that I actually think work pretty well. Yeah. But before that, I just want to ask you about the character of Eric, the kid. Yeah. Because he has that precocious kid quality that I find not that effective in most movies because I've just seen it too many times.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's a trope for sure. Yeah, so
0: he survives the parasailing accident his companion, Ben Hildebrand, inexplicably dies in the trees after they land because they end up seeing camcorder footage of them landing. Mm -hmm. And Ben is fine when they're landing in their parasails on the island. I don't understand how Ben dies in that tree. I do not understand it because he and, and Eric are just talking to each other when the parasail hits the trees. And yet, there is another very silly moment in the movie where Mrs. Kirby, Amanda, after she's looking at this camcorder footage, like, or I do not remember if it's before or after, basically, like, pulls on the parasail and then Ben's skeleton just comes swinging in like a yeah. Halloween decoration right at her face.
1: It's a it's a straight up, like, Evil Dead <laughs> scare moment. Uh, yeah. But or I'm jump, like, moment, how jump scene. Th- how did like, Ben die in that harness? What the heck happened to him? It's so funny because it's Ben's skeleton that's like all rotten and like they they say they've been there eight weeks, and like it's a tropical environment, so like you know decomposition's gonna happen for sure. But like he was didn't seem eaten. It's almost like he just died and then was just hanging in the parasail in the tree for 8 weeks. Yeah,
0: but I simply don't understand how he died. I don't understand. It's never addressed. It's never like, addressed
1: at all. And I think it's I think it's just like whoever made this was like, "Uh, move on." Yeah, I will say yeah, that, though, that the me. the actress uh hold on, let me find her name who plays Mrs. Kirby Tia Leone. Tia Leone, she sells that moment so hard because the way she screams, she keeps screaming. She keeps screaming. Yeah. They pull it off of her. She keeps screaming and she runs off and she like like f- just flails yeah. her arms and it's the, exactly what I do when I walk through a spider web. She, in that moment, is all of us. <laughs> We're startled <laughs> by something we fucking hate. Yeah. I, it was great.
0: <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, it was pretty great and just pretty funny but like mm-hmm. now we have... Uh, Eric running around the island here on his own for many weeks and he forms like he finds like an underground lair and he literally smoke bombs the Velociraptors yeah. to save Dr. Grant. And I'm like,
1: what the hell is this bullshit? He has a jar of T-Rex pee and and he's like uses it as like a way to get other dinosaurs to leave. But he mentions, oh, it actually attracts the Spinosaurus though. So don't use it. Yeah, yeah. And, and Dr. Grant's like, well, how'd you get it? And he just says, you don't want to know. It's just like okay. I do want to know, actually. Yeah, it's like actually stand under it and let it it piss on you. Yeah. Oh my god. God. But yeah, like so.
0: Eric is like you know the survivor precocious kid thing. And he saves Doctor Grant, and he knows who Doctor Grant
1: is. Yeah, he's read a bunch of his books, which like okay, he's just Tim again from the first movie. Yeah,
0: it's like an older Tim (laughs) who is like has Laura Croft DNA in him.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. He's somehow extremely athletic which like maybe maybe an athlete would survive better on the island than uh, a non-athlete I don't know I don't think that's gonna help you very much uh yeah yeah it's just interesting it, it does it does sort of you are know, like how did this kid survive alone like what they're like he's found food from all of the like old in gen buildings and yeah. stuff. I it, mean, you know, it's one of those things. There's lots of things in, well, any movie that you just have to accept as part of the yeah. world it's bringing you into and I think that happens a lot in this one.
0: <laughs> oh, it sure does. It's just like the the fact that he's become like he has like superhero levels of skill in a matter of weeks. Yeah. It's is hilarious. a little far-fetched because he it's like he's so he's like a world-weary dinosaur survivor at that point. It's like he hasn't been there yeah. for that long.
1: And he doesn't even like do any gymnastics to kick a dinosaur or anything. <laughs> like, d- does he really know what he's doing? I don't know. I don't know. But
0: anyway, I just saw like, does this character work for you? Uh like for me, he's kind of fine. <laughs> in, but
1: in some ways, you could say Eric is a MacGuffin because it's the reason yeah, they'll get to the that's island. True. Yeah. But I think he is unnecessary. If they had gotten to the island and their son was dead, Whoa. But now they're stuck on the island. That would have been pretty. It changes different. the story, right? It's a little darker, but just as yeah. interesting, I think. Uh, and also maybe less annoying. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> huh? That's fascinating. I would. That
0: would have been a really interesting change of pace for the movies. Yeah. Feel. Yeah, I mean, we'd be remiss, David. I almost forgot if we didn't mention a scene that happens on the plane as they're heading towards Zizlasorna. Oh, 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 oh! I didn't forget.
1: I actually, <laughs> oh, I actually noticed it. some things about this moment that that kind of qualify or clarify it for me. But really? wh- what scene are you talking about, Ben? Let's so tell the audience. I know
0: it, it sounds like we're jumping around, but I think we're kind of getting into. The what is the feel of this movie? because yeah. there are all these moments like when you dusky gets impaled by a raptor's claw and then his neck snapped, where we're like, Holy crap! Yeah, and then there are moments like this where Dr. Grant falls asleep, he says, Wake me when you get there. This is before he knows that they're going to land on the island and before everything goes off the rails, mm-hmm. and he just puts his hat over his eyes and then. Dr. Grant just starts dreaming, but we don't know it's a dream yet, that he just wakes up and where's everyone on the plane? (laughs) And there's like blood kind of around and then he just looks up and there's a velociraptor staring at him. And this (laughs) raptor looks different than the ones that he encountered in the first movie. This is the Jurassic Park 3 coloration of the male raptor.
1: Yeah, it's got a little proto feather thing sticking out of its head. Yeah, it's got little quills and it just looks at him and it goes, (laughs) Alan. (laughs) Alan. Alan, it's so fucking funny. It's so funny. But here's what I <laughs> noticed in watching this: like we, we obviously, we for years we have been making fun of this moment. It's so goofy. It's so out of nowhere. And like, what is it even doing there? What what is added to the story by him having a a nightmare where a Velociraptor is trying to wake him up, and then he does wake up, and actually it's Billy saying, "Alan, Alan, we're here." Yeah, <laughs> we Yeah. You know, like, what? But actually, so w- when I was watching this movie, I noticed before he is even confronted by, well, actually, it might be after he's confronted by them, but before he gets on the plane, before he's headed to the island, he, uh, Dr. Grant goes to meet Dr. Ellie Sattler, played by Laura Dern, right? Yeah. Which, side note, Jeff Goldblum's got his Jurassic Park. uh, Sam Neill has his Jurassic Park. Where is Laura Dern's standalone Jurassic Park movie where it's just oh, her that would have been great heading back to the island? Right. It would never happen. She's too smart. She'd just say, No, I'm not going. And then that's, I'm not going. that's, yeah, that's yeah, why movie that movie number. doesn't exist. Um, but anyway, so Dr. Grant goes to meet Dr. Sattler at her house, and that's when they have that moment where he's playing with her kid with the dinosaurs, and he's like, Oh, actually, that's this one's a carn- carnivore. you know, that funny moment. But then there's a moment where Dr. Grant is talking to Uh, Ellie's bird. She has like a little parrot. And Dr. Grant's going, can you say Alan? Alan?" Can you say Alan? And holding like a a cracker or something. Uh And I was like, wait, what? Because later the Velociraptor says Alan. Wow, dude. And so I was like, okay, this doesn't matter in the story. There's nothing that this moment is adding to it. But they did... (laughs) They did, uh, kind of set it up with that parrot, but it's such a throwaway moment. No one's ever wow. gonna think about it. No one's ever gonna make the connection. Like, oh, he he was asking the parrot if it could say Alan, but instead the velociraptor, which is also a bird or I guess, ancestor of bird. It's bird adjacent. It's bird adjacent. Is apparently smarter than primates, so of course that one can say "Alan," even though the parrot. Wow, dude! It's like it—it added just like a a, some crumbs of like, "Oh my god, they're okay." I've never—they were smarter than I gave them credit for, but it's still like completely unnecessary. And why is it there? And what? That's
0: (laughs) so funny. I mean, I'm glad that it's that you've either created a connection that doesn't exist or reveal the yeah. connection that does exist <laughs> in knows, the minds of the, the filmmakers, but that,
1: <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, that's the thing about this movie. Like, like the people who made it are great filmmakers. I mean, Joe Johnston, who directed this movie, also directed uh, The Rocketeer, which is a great uh, older Disney movie. He also directed Captain America, the first Avenger, which was the first, the original Captain America movie. Which is, you know, not my favorite movie. Marvel movie by any means, but he he knows what he's doing as a director, and there are certain things in this movie that I think are very effective, such as not being all close up when a spinosaurus and a T. Rex are fighting, because when you see the little humans dancing around their feet, it gives you a sense of scale of this fight. Mm-hmm. You know, those are directorial choices, and you know they knew what they were doing. So this isn't like amateurs being handed a hundred million dollars or however much this movie's budget was. Like yeah. they knew what they're doing, and I think, which is why I think they chose to make this movie campier than any other Jurassic Park before. Maybe not since some of the new ones are a little campy, but it feels less intentional with, the, with those yeah. ones. <laughs> it's just fascinating. This movie fascinates me. I'm so glad we watched it because I, I, I just I, I like watching it.
0: <laughs> well, this is it's giving this movie so many more dimensions because. My impression coming into watching it this time was that this movie is just bad. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was just a bad movie. And I liked it quite a bit when I watched it this time.
1: It's just it's just a misunderstood movie. <laughs> Which, yeah. to be fair, it's misunderstood because it had two entries in this trilogy prior that were completely different tones. Uh, yeah. and, and nobody was like, hey, by the way... This movie is actually going to be like silly. So, people (laughs) probably went into it expecting a a sci fi thriller with the seriousness of the original and the attempt at seriousness of the sequel. And then they got, nope, this one's going full camp. I know. We we were expecting
0: serious, and we ended
1: up getting. (laughs) Exactly. It's ridiculous. Man. Now, Ben, I I have some questions for you because... And I have some thoughts for you because... Excellent.
0: Dinosaur situation in this movie and the pterosaur situation oh. needs some freaking work.
1: It it does. Now, as a film and dinosaur lover, I love the dinosaurs they give us in this movie. As inaccurate as it is, that Spinosaurus is kick-ass, man. It's bigger then the T-Rex, they of course have to have a brutal fight to show us, the audience, yes, this is Isla Sorna, not the other island you were expecting. And yes, that T-Rex is big and scary, but guess what's bigger and scarier and is actually the king of the jungle in this story? It's this Spinosaurus. Yeah. Um. It just occurred to me, why no Spinosaurus in the Lost World Jurassic Park if that was also Isla Sorna? You'd think that it they was would not have in uh, list. noticed that. It wasn't on Jen's yeah. list. Um, I also love the pterosaur scene, the set piece being in the aviary, all the catwalks and the rocky cliffs and stuff. Like, It's great action. It's thrilling. It's fun. But Ben, let's talk about accuracy for a second.
0: Yeah. How'd
1: this movie do?
0: <laughs> Very poorly, but Oof. not as poorly as maybe we... like. At the time the film was made, it wasn't quite as bad as we now know. But that's like the main thing. The main difference for this movie is like they basically asked Jack Horner, as far as I know, like what dinosaur can we put in this movie to be the new apex predator? Mm -hmm. And they picked Spinosaurus. At the time, it was known from very, very limited fossils.
1: Very limited. And The story of... I'm sorry, I interrupted. Can I just say The story of Spinosaurus, Egypticus, is that what it's... Yes. Species name is It is so fascinating to me. It's a great story in and of itself. The finding of the fossils, the loss of the fossils. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's wild. We'll I think get we into should have an second, episode
0: only on Spinosaurus.
1: I would love that. Let's do a, a yeah. Spinosaurus 101 like we did the raptors and the Yeah. Um, that's a great idea. So right. I'll leave a little bit Coming so we do too
0: long-winded about Spinosaurus, <laughs> but basically Jack Horner went for the most outlandish possibilities for this animal. They made it basically 60 feet long with a skull that was eight feet long, which is bigger than any Spinosaurus specimen that had ever been found. But that was like,
1: let's just run with it. How big could it be? Yeah. What if InGen really did just make up dinosaurs?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, but I mean, it's a real dinosaur. It really had a big, huge spine on its back. It had a very thin snout like a crocodile. Mm -hmm. and that's why when the t-rex and the spinosaurus battle and the spinosaurus kills the t-rex by breaking its neck with its jaws scientist ben was not stoked about that (laughs) because even as a kid i was like look at its jaws look at the mechanical advantage this thing has it has such thin jaws and conical teeth it would just not have the bite force to break a T-Rex's neck. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the T-Rex actually bites the Spinosaurus. And as soon as that happened, fight would have been done. Yeah. T-Rex like, cause T-Rex has bone crushing jaws. It would have been done. And I know they have to, I, I mean, it's a really cool scene when they're fighting, it but is. It's Jack great. Horner's agenda is here very strongly to be found because T-Rex, they encounter the T-Rex in the midst of scavenging. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. It is scavenging. Yep. It's It's even a dead thing. And then, you know, Dr. Grant says, nobody move a muscle. Everyone runs, of course. Then it goes to fight the Spinosaurus. And when the Spinosaurus kills the T-Rex, first of all, giant predators don't love fighting each other in mono-e-mono battle. That's going to be another thing that comes up in the the trailer to Jurassic World Dominion. No, it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible (laughs) idea. Unless there's something really important at stake. Like, you got to save your offspring or your mate or something like this yeah. just rarely happens i mean anyway, how
1: often do we see lions and like hyenas or well, jaguars often, like actually. fighting each other
0: lions and hyenas actually fight each other quite a bit but that's because oh. they are trying to get to the same carcasses <laughs> so i mean like, oh that's, that's true a, that yeah no, competition you picked, in you that picked, way you yeah. picked an example that is a it's great it's always great to acknowledge the exceptions mm-hmm. and that is one of like the African savanna today is a case in which there is a lot of large predators that do actually fight pretty often. But they don't usually do it in isolation just for the sake of it. In that case, there is critical food resources at stake. Mm-hmm. But here, the T. rex and Spinosaurus are just fighting because they happen to see each other.
1: They've got prior beef. Yeah, they, they must, yeah. Or something. But,
0: like, yeah, the Spinosaurus kills the T. rex with a bone-crushing bite, and I'm like, the one thing Spinosaurus wouldn't be doing is a bone crushing bite on a T Rex. So anyway. <laughs> uh, so that was too bad. And then they incorporate a ton of its swimming behaviors throughout yeah, this film. Which is which cool. Is,
1: the river scene is is pretty dope.
0: That's I think that might be the best scene in the movie. Ooh. There's a river attack scene. Yeah. It's really cool, I've gotta say.
1: It combines some, is, yeah, some elements from Jaws because they end up in inside the cage underwater, and then yeah. Spinosaurus is like using its arm to like fish around inside the cage. Yeah, <laughs> it's, totally. It's 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 almost it's great. Like,
0: it's like the fact that Spinosaurus has long arms almost adds another dimension to its character compared to the T Rex because this Spinosaurus is tumbling around the fuselage of the airplane with its arms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, after and it crashes, And it's just like yeah. it's making full use of the tool set that it has that T-Rex doesn't have. But mm-hmm. this Spinosaurus, yeah, is absolutely enormous. It runs fast. And the way that Horner asked sort of the animators and filmmakers to depict this animal is more ferocious and bigger than T-Rex, but dumber. Hmm. And he told them, I mean, that's it's in the making of Jurassic Park 3. That's hilarious. That's that's how he wanted it, this thing depicted. So, you know, Spinosaurus gets kind of confused a few times in the movies when the humans run out of the different fuselages of the parts of the airplane. And it's still fighting with the fuselage and steps on it. And it looks like, huh, where'd they go? Yeah. And then it turns around and chases them. But, you know... It is pretty cool looking in this jungly environment that they have it running through. It looks like almost like a King Kong esque figure. Like it's so godlike on this island that it's a little bit different than the T Rexes, which look like part of this natural environment. I know it's weird to see T Rex running around, but it just looks like it's a big animal in its habitat. Mm -hmm. The Spinosaurus is like lord of the island. Yeah, it's like a different vibe. Yeah. And it's all red and just like vibrant looking. Yeah. Angry color. Yeah, it's an angry color. And they have very classic proportions for this dinosaur because there was a very controversial and important paper in 2014 in Science called Semi-Aquatic Adaptations in a Giant Predatory Dinosaur by Nizar Ibrahim, Paul Serino, and other co-authors, which describe new specimens discovered about spinosaurus that happened in the early 2010s and they totally redraw this animal in terms huh. of its shape because spinosaurus basically looks like a classic meat-eating dinosaur in this movie it's got right. long legs shorter arms it's even a though longer, theropod it's a classic theropod body plant it just mm-hmm. has a giant spine but this paper suggests that spinosaurus had really short legs compared to its body and kind of a flattened tail, vertically flattened. So not like flat top to bottom, but flattened side to side. So it could use it as kind
1: of like a a rudder in the water. So it's like thin. Oh, I see, like a rudder. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: so kind of like what a crocodile tail looks like. Yeah. A lot of surface area up and down to push the water. And these really different proportions than we were expecting. And in fact, its legs are so short that it looks like it might have even been able to walk on all fours.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, that's... Oh, so much shorter. So their hind legs Way are much, shorter. much shorter.
0: Way shorter, oh, Interesting. Yeah. So our view of Spinosaurus has changed quite a bit, but that paper was really controversial because it seemed so outlandish that they could be this different than we thought. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of questions about how they scaled the different bones as they were making their reconstruction of the body, and also Mm. if they were accidentally including bones of other individuals in their one skeletal reconstruction, where they might have had, like, the legs of a smaller Spinosaurus attached to the body of a bigger one. Oh, yeah. And there's been much, much work about this. Far be it for me to criticize something that I don't, you know, I'm not really in this arena particularly, and I don't really want to get involved, but it seems (laughs) like maybe... It does seem like Spinosaurus probably did have shorter legs than we anticipated, but perhaps not quite as much shorter as that paper suggests. And it might have to do with the way that they did their scaling when they are reconstructing this this animal. But nevertheless, a weird, weird weird-looking dinosaur, fascinating, deserves its own Real Beast episode and more. But our view of this animal has really, really changed since Jurassic Park 3 came out.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. I I knew that it had changed, but I didn't realize that its its entire body shape had transformed. Like that is fascinating. And a testament to how paleontology is always being updated. And our understandings of these animals in these ancient this ancient world is like constantly being updated. And so we can't necessarily blame movies like Jurassic Park for having outdated ideas. Until they start attempting to say this is what they were like, which I think these movies, even this one, does mention. Like this is not what dinosaurs actually were. This is the invented version from Ingen, the company. Yeah. Uh, who remember uses frog DNA and other things in addition right. to dinosaur yeah. DNA. So yeah, so th- that's that's fascinating though that that we have this new perspective on on the Jurassic Park three baddie. But but.
0: One of the major arguments in this paper, and that the authors continue to make later, is that this was a semi-aquatic dinosaur. This was a dinosaur with adaptations for living in these coastal areas and swimming. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they really play up to the max in this movie. And I'm actually kind of surprised that that was already something we thought about this animal. I know that it was found in a coastal environment. And it had that crocodile-like snout, but they really play up its swimming abilities in this movie. That's a huge part of yeah. this film. Yeah, it is, is it just hides under the water like a crocodile, but then it can run around on land like a theropod dinosaur? So it's kind mm-hmm. of the, the scariest of all worlds. It's Jaws and it's Jurassic Park at the same time. Yeah, and that's it's neat because these authors are really pushing for that. There's been some pushback as well that maybe it was just, you know, how grizzly bears sort of stand at the edge of. Rivers and and they kind of fish salmon mm-hmm. out with their yeah. claws and teeth. Uh-huh. There's an argument that it was doing hunting like that, where it's sort of wading. It wades in the water and then it kind of grabs it with its claws or teeth, rather mm. than actually like swimming in the water. Yeah. But the authors of this new reconstruction of Spinosaurus paper, the folks who found these additional specimens, are arguing that it could swim.
1: That's and that would
0: actually be unique for. Dinosaurs in terms of having these aquatic adaptations. There are other dinosaurs that we think could swim and in fact we find duck-billed dinosaurs primarily in watery environments, freshwater, yeah. watery environments. It's like statistically more likely to find a duck-billed dinosaur in a river or lake environment than it is to find a ceratopsian dinosaur in those places.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. So that that seems like at least some type of evidence that those animals were probably if not fully like aquatic animals, at least they lived near water most of the yeah, time. Yeah,
0: they preferred those places. Yeah. We don't really know how what the proportion of time is they were spending in the water or literally swimming in the water, but mm-hmm. they preferred those sorts of watery places it seems mm-hmm. based on the evidence that we have. But yeah. Spinosaurus is something that could actually have been actively swimming around to catch its food, maybe. Cool. And I think it's kind of cool that the Jurassic Park 3 Spinosaurus does that and that debate is raging on and it may well have been the case.
1: Yeah. Oh man, I love that. All right, so Spinosaurus, we'll get into more nitty-gritty details with our Spinosaurus 101 episode soon yeah. to come. Uh, tune in for that, folks. But Ben, I also want to talk to you about the pterosaurs, because you you and I both love pterosaurs, mm-hmm. partly thanks to our time spent working at the Cal Academy of Sciences. Uh, yeah. but I just think they're cool. And in this movie, they look cool. they behave coolly. They're <laughs> they're just wicked and they're terrifying and and they and the the human characters find themselves in this giant bird cage designed to keep the pterosaurs in. But how did this movie do scientifically? Of course. I'm sure this is a specific yeah. type of pterosaur that we're seeing in this movie.
0: Yes, this is Pteranodon. So is it for, Pteranodon or is yes, it just it's, it's
1: supposed to be? Well,
0: it's <laughs> it's definitely supposed to be Pteranodon. Got it. <laughs> However, their heads are humongous in this movie. Like uh. they're huge. But the main issue, the dual issue I have, or the maybe the triple issue I have, is Tyrannodon didn't have teeth, David. And these Pteranodons mm. do have teeth.
1: That's a good point.
0: So, like, you could say it's, like, some In-Jan, whatever, but I hate that excuse, to be honest. (laughs) I think you can get away with anything. That's what they do in Jurassic World. Dr. Wu says, like, these dinosaurs don't look like what they actually would look like. Everyone knows that. It's like, no, you're just covering your tracks so you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So, these pterosaurs have teeth, and that kind of stinks because they just didn't need to do that. They even have Pteranodon in the end of or a large pterosaur that looks like tyrannodon at the end of The Lost World that doesn't have teeth. That's
1: right, yeah. And they the, they very, the very, very end of that one, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I was like, all right, well. And then the other thing is, tyrannodon could not grasp things with its feet like a raptorial bird. Hmm. And yet they're carrying and people they around.
1: pick Eric up and fly Yeah, they with pick him them up,
0: and they're carrying everyone around to take to their nest. And like, ah, uh, it's just like they didn't have grasping feet. They got
1: little flat walking feet. <laughs> they didn't have talons. They, they, it sounds like the the filmmakers were like, what if we had a giant bird of prey? Exactly. Oh, that's exactly what it's they a, did. the reptile version of that. Yeah. And, but exactly it can still do did. the same things. It's like, well, no. But yeah, but birds of prey didn't have teeth either, attempted. and they still gave them teeth. Yeah, good yeah. point.
0: And one of the most disappointing things to me as a kid is when I watched the making of Jurassic Park 3 Mm-hmm. and they were talking about this scene, and Sam Neill was interviewed. God bless Sam Neill. I love Sam Neill so much. He's great. But they, they were talking to him about it, and he's like, oh, yeah, I thought it was so great to have flying dinosaurs in this movie. Uh-oh. They're so scary and weird and frightening. And I was like, Dr. Grant doesn't know that pterosaurs aren't dinosaurs? <laughs> and I was so disappointed.
1: <laughs> Listeners, Ben will come find you wherever whatever you're listening from whatever platform you use co-host Ben will come find you if you continue to think pterosaurs are dinosaurs no no <laughs> they are not they're not yeah. they are they're separate not. they are
0: <laughs> and then the funny part is the more I learn about them the more I realize that they're pretty closely related to dinosaurs but
1: I mean sure but we can't tell our audience that no they'll run can't. with it <laughs> yeah. They'll grasp it and fly away with their grasping feet. Yeah, exactly, which we explicitly told them they can't do.
0: Yeah. So good I God. was kind of, you know, I get why they did that. It's yeah. part of the trope of the flying animal monster that can mm-hmm. just pick you up and fly away. Yeah. But they Thematically, not...
1: it works. It's good yeah. action. It's thrilling. It's And it's they have okay. the
0: nest of hatchlings just like if it were a bird of prey. Mm-hmm. And I actually asked Kevin Padian, who is a vertebrate paleontologist at Berkeley. He's retiring soon or already has. I'm not sure. But Kevin Padian, famous dinosaur paleontologist from Berkeley, he gave a talk about pterosaurs at Cal Academy when that exhibit opened. And I Mm -hmm. asked Kevin Padian, do we know if any pterosaurs had young that were precocial or altricial? Precocial meaning they can get up and walk away as soon as they hatch and they're just ready to go. Altricial meaning needing parental care. Mm, okay. We have evidence for some dinosaurs that needed parental care. Even alligators need parental care for a while, but not yeah. that much. Some just snakes. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Some snakes just, but yeah, most snakes don't need parental care after they hatch. Oh,
1: good point. Yeah, after yeah, they hatch. After I was they hatch about the egg. Yeah, after they hatch. Yeah.
0: The parents aren't coming and, like, regurgitating tiny mice to feed all of
1: their little baby snakes. <laughs> oh, how cute yeah. would that be? <laughs> oh. Yeah.
0: So they're not doing that. So I asked him that, and he did not know. And I still don't know if there's any evidence mm. for the kind of towards that or to the contrary. And, of so course, like, pterosaurs are very diverse. So different yeah. groups of pterosaurs might have done different things. But... The idea that they're all sitting there in that nest waiting to get fed is not based on any evidence that I know of.
1: It's just, just a creative choice to be like, let's let, we how know birdie birds. can we make them? Let's make them birdie. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. It's, and
0: they use that bird thing all the time. I mean, the area is sort of called the aviary, at least in the Jurassic Park 3 lore. Mm-hmm. And then they're just like, they're looking around. They're like, what is this? And then Dr. Grant goes, it's a bird cage. Yeah.
1: Ugh, it's yeah. great. And the there fog. are all sorts of lines like that in the movie. There are. There are some really oh, good lines and then there are lines where are like, oh. oh, okay.
0: Well, it happens with Spinosaurus too where <laughs> they hear a roar in the distance and he goes and he says it in such a nerd way. Like, I yeah. feel like very, very few paleontologists say Tyrannosaurus, like Tyrannosaurus. Yeah. And the way he says it, he's like, it's a Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> and Dr. Grant goes, I don't think so. It sounds bigger. <laughs> And it's like, how could you? How can you tell how big it is? Come on, dude. But I mean, like, and oh, that's you know, they're hyping up the Spinosaurus hardcore there. Huh? Plus, like, Doctor Grant remembers what T Rex sounds like. It sounds like it doesn't sound like the Spinosaurus. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, and I mean this is a man who's probably dealing with some significant trauma from his time at Jurassic right, Park. Yeah. Originally, I think he'd remember the fucking noises. Yeah. That well, maybe are he's also dealing with nightmares. the blunt
0: force trauma of of Udusky punching him in the head
1: and knocking him out before they land on the island. That's true. He he did get knocked out just before getting here. So who's to say that all of Jurassic Park three isn't a fever isn't a dream. dream of Dr. Grant's? Yeah, Alan. <laughs> The only thing real was that raptor saying his name. Yeah.
0: Speaking of the raptors, they look different in this movie. They do. And it's kind of cool because they have sexual dimorphism, which is something that we're trying to demonstrate in dinosaurs. It's been hugely difficult and controversial. I was just talking about this with some of my colleagues today. I'm not going to get into it deeply because it'll take too long. But basically, we expect that many male and female dinosaurs will be either differently shaped or have superficial differences like color mm-hmm. that we often can't see in the fossil record but we expect that in dinosaurs because if we look at where they are in the tree of life birds who are dinosaurs have very strong sexual dimorphism almost mm-hmm. every type of bird is sexually dimorphic mm-hmm. some the of, the of the peacock and peahen Huge exactly. difference huge difference so it can be difference in their display feathers it can be difference in their average size as we mm-hmm. see in raptors, like uh, female eagles are bigger than males most mm-hmm. of the time. Stuff like that. So there's really strong sexual dimorphism in birds. Funny enough, the Cal Academy penguins is an example of a bird that has very limited sexual dimorphism. That's right, yeah. They're very, very similar. But overall, birds have are strongly dimorphic. Crocodiles and alligators, strongly dimorphic. Dinosaurs are sitting right between them, you know, basically between them on the tree of life, more or less. Mm-hmm. They're what we call phylogenetically bracketed by these two groups of animals. Basically, if you have a tree of life, you have birds on one side, you got crocs on the other side, dinosaurs are bracketed by those two groups. Oh, I see. So they're kind so of like in between, have,
1: related to both. Yeah, yeah, in
0: between and related to both. So if crocs have it, birds have it. It stands to reason dinosaurs would be dimorphic. Mm-hmm. And we see all sorts of, and by sexually dimorphic, I mean they have differences in their sexes represented in their shape or coloration, basically. Mm-hmm.
1: So in this one, the the male raptors, which it's I I appreciate that they're continuing with the sort of bee colony social hierarchy within raptor packs. There is the leading female, and then all of her male, you know, minions <laughs> that kind yeah. of run the errands uh-huh. for her. And they all the males have these kind of proto feather quill things coming out of their heads. They've got yeah. like kind of a blue and. Dark red, yeah. I kind of kin- like that brown. color scheme. Yeah, it, they they look, they look they look cool. Nice, yeah. Um, but then the, the female, females look great too. The yeah, the queen has like she's like gray and spotted and has like mottled kind of coloration on her back. Like, so they do look very different. Um, and and it is interesting that we don't necessarily know if that was true of dinosaurs, but they seem to be committing to. A lot of references with birds in this movie, which I think yeah. is is a good reference point, obviously.
0: <laughs> and I think that I think dinosaurs were sexually dimorphic. Mm-hmm. The biggest trouble is that we don't have big enough sample sizes for most types of dinosaurs to tell. Mm-hmm. And there was some interesting sense. studies that came out, basically saying like, if you pretend that alligators are fossil animals and we just take like a hodgepodge of their bones and try Mm -hmm. to run some statistics on them could we tell that alligators are sexually dimorphic if we didn't know that they already were Mm. and this author found that we couldn't we couldn't tell oh interesting Basically, like even though they are really different if you just get like a hodgepodge of bones from some males and some females and try to figure it out you wouldn't be able to tell
1: that's yeah that makes sense
0: but then my advisor was like, "Uh, maybe you could do your statistics better or differently." And mm. he showed that you can tell in a different group of ancient reptiles, but you need to have a sample size of like 70 or above, uh, okay. basically. But he found that he he he's arguing that you can. Um, it is dangerous waters a little bit because people get really upset about sexual dimorphism in fossils because we're trying to figure out what all these animals are doing with their weird headgear and their crazy crests and weird horns and all that <laughs> stuff. And it often gets thrown into this, oh, it's because of sexual selection. However, if you cannot establish that there is a difference between males and females, you cannot argue for sexual selection, strictly speaking. And sexual that's a-
1: selection meaning uh, yes. animals are choosing their mates based on a certain... Certain features, At yes, right, like a, exactly. a peacock is a great example. Yeah. The more yeah. brighter your tail feathers, the more likely you're going to have baby peacocks and peahens. And, but you need that dimorphism for that for there to be a selection. Right, based if on all the peacocks looked like looked
0: like the peacocks and not the peahens, if they all looked like that, we would have to probably find another explanation for. This feature yeah. in their bodies or why they look so spectacular because there's no clear selection based on mate preference because of this. However, you know, that's not always the case. There can be like mutual, mutual selection for the same types of beauty. Mm-hmm. That can happen, but it's just really difficult to argue that. And that's something that our friend Kevin Padian has been so adamant about. He gets so mad when people say that, like, you know, the horns of a triceratops for sexual selection are like, because he's like, we haven't established that they're dimorphic. You can't argue that. Yeah. He's very, very, like, uh, into the semantics of that. Like, mm-hmm. definitionally, he gets very hung up on that idea. So, like, I'm not quite as hung up on basically, like, the terminology as mm-hmm. maybe other paleontologists are. But I still get the point. Yeah. Yeah. We have to consider sense. other reasons if we can't really tell that it's because of that
1: reason wow fascinating
0: but anyway velociraptors they look kind of cool in this movie they don't explain why they're different at all every movie has had different velociraptor colors and they never explain it
1: yeah that's true lost world they had like red with like tiger stripes almost and the first one they're yeah. brown like yeah why why do yeah. they keep changing are they evolving what's
0: up yeah nobody <laughs> knows and then like even their head shape's a little different. They they said that they incorporated that in the making of Jurassic Park 3 to make it a bit more accurate to Velociraptor's real head shape. Oh. In my opinion, it's just not really
1: any closer to being realistic. <laughs> They're just like, oh, we tweaked it. It's like, ah, uh, negotiable. Yeah. Sure. But I
0: think, yeah, I think that's mostly what I have to say about these major points in the movie. And I, I just want to wrap up with just some final thoughts about... Yeah what we think about Jurassic Park three on the whole, did it work? What's its place in the Jurassic park? oeuvre? <laughs> the lineup.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And then maybe our kind of, uh, our sentiments towards this film just to wrap it up.
1: Yeah. I think that sounds great. I think that this movie is, is misunderstood. I think Many people went into it when it was originally released expecting another movie that at least attempts to be a serious, a more serious kind of sci-fi thriller. And what they get is a campy horror movie, which I think actually works, but you kind of have to be willing to accept it. And also you sort of have to expect that's what they're trying to do. It's sort of like if you go watch... M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, (laughs) and you trusted the marketing for that movie, which was, it's a horror movie, which it is not. It's it's not scary. There's really nothing going on in that movie that's horror. However, there's a lot of romantic stuff going on in that movie. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: If you look at it through a romance movie lens, it's completely different. And I think a similar thing is going on with this movie. If you look at it expecting a serious, you know, really well done movie, you're going to be like, "Why? None of these characters matter at all, except for Dr. Grant. And that's only because we care about him from the first movie where he was well developed as a character. (laughs) Um, If that's why you're getting into this movie, you're going to be disappointed. If you're getting into this movie just because you enjoy the dinosaurs, you're going to be thrilled. This movie has kick-ass dinosaurs. It has great action sequences. I think a lot of what they do in this movie is very effective. But you do have to just be like, I don't care about why they got to the island or why they're going to get off or really anything that has anything to do other than the action sequences. Yeah. Because those moments are great. And there's some comedy and some silliness and stuff. And if you're okay with the goofiness, like, I think you're going to have a great time. I have a great time with it. And I think watching it this most recent time really changed my perspective. I probably hadn't seen this movie in like ten years. Yeah, and that was because I remembered it being not that great. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a lot better than I think I gave it credit for. So, out of out of five uh, satellite phones, I'm gonna give it a, <laughs> like a three and a half. Honestly, okay. I think yeah, maybe a four if I'm feeling really generous. Wow. But like. Yeah. I think it it it's got a lot of things that work and it's just fun to be back in the Jurassic Park world. Yeah. Okay.
0: I think my relationship to this movie is just complicated a bit by <laughs> watching it as a kid and being sort of scientifically offended by it. Yeah. Because I was pissed about this Spinosaurus situation. First That's of all, amazing. I love T Rex and mm-hmm. I was sort of personally irritated that they had to kill the T Rex to introduce the Spinosaurus. I know as the it's new really
1: on the villain. nose, like, and they this have is it the as new like the symbol, scary dinosaur. Like, okay, yeah, even the little skeleton
0: it. symbol in mm-hmm. the in the poster is now Spinosaurus and not yeah. T Rex. And I was like, uh. And when that fight scene happened, I mean, I know it's cool, but I struggled with it because I'm just like, it just Spinosaurus didn't have bone crushing jaws. It just didn't. <laughs> I was so irritated by that, that I had trouble getting over it. It and had like, fishing jaws. <laughs> yeah, and on top of that, it's just not that good of a movie. Yeah. In terms of how consistently crafted it is, <laughs> and like, there's, it's so hammy and silly. And I think that I just wasn't ready for appreciating that at the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm still not.
1: I mean, I, I, as much nice things as I said about this, I still am like, am I gonna rewatch this movie? In the next five years, probably. Not.
0: Well, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> I think we were astonishingly kind to this movie overall because it was just like fun to get back into watching. Yeah. This moment of history again, and yeah,
1: it was a little nostalgic I, yeah. for both of us too. Totally,
0: and I think that I'm kind of like warming to silly movies like this. It's just that it's in the Jurassic Park series. If this was just a standalone movie that had a plot like this. I'd be probably all about it. Yeah. But because it's in the Jurassic Park canon and it's the third movie in this series, of which I thought the first two were actually pretty good. I know mm-hmm. people have had more kind of retroactive issues with the second one, but I as a kid thought they were both perfect. So when I saw mm-hmm. this one and I was like,
1: they made a Jurassic Park movie that's not perfect? Yeah. What the hell is this both? It's shocking. It's sort yeah, of like I was <sighs> suddenly you're a Star Wars fan for thirty years and then George Lucas is like, here's my new one, The Phantom Menace. And everyone's like, what? Yeah. yeah. That's the, what? You had 30 years to think of a movie and you gave us Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, it's still I, cool. There's a lot that is great, but like, what? Yeah. This that's kind of how a, I feel about it. Yeah. I just a lot of it was
0: weird to me. and But I also look back on it now more fondly than I ever have before, really, because I just- had more fun with it it's a fun mm-hmm. movie it doesn't take itself too seriously there's cool dinosaurs and there's some fun thought experiments kind of thrown in there kind of thought questions like there's the idea of being the astronaut or the astronomer oh yeah uh, yeah Do-
1: dr grant mentions that to eric
0: yeah so the astronaut is somebody who goes out into space and does all the adventures and is on the mm-hmm. f- on the ragged edge experiencing it themselves and the astronomer is someone who observes things from a distance and tries to understand them and dr grant views himself as more of the astronomer than mm-hmm. the astronaut mm-hmm. but billy is an astronaut and they were kind of reflecting on that yeah and and eric as he's looking at this magnificent herd of brachiosaurus and other dinosaurs there by the riverside drinking he says you know what billy was right and i was like "Ah." Oh, I mean, it's kind of cool to think about. I mean, I think about that now. It's like being in the field versus being in the lab. When I'm in the lab, I feel like the astronomer. When I'm in the field, I feel like the astronaut. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like having
1: some of both. Yeah. We don't need this. Who needs a binary system anyway? Yeah. Don't just pick, are you an astronaut? You got to go in the astronaut bathroom then. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) gosh. let let, Let people be an astronaut and an astronomer who cares okay yeah. that's my that's my outburst but but yeah i i agree with you i think that there that is a really interesting theme that is kind of presented in all of these movies is the is the tension between the ones who are in their research center learning all of this stuff and then the ones who are out in the field learning it learning similar things but in a different way it's sort of like street smart versus book smart and the best version of a person is someone who is it, can read and also walk around on the street.
0: <laughs> you, you need both. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So, like, overall, this movie has increased in my estimation a little bit. It's still not a very good movie. It has glaring weird plot holes, and even when they're rescued at the very end, because Dr. Grant calls Dr. Sattler on the satellite phone finally at the culmination of the Spinosaurus attack scene, and he just goes, The river! Site B! The river! And basically, there's a man on a suit that appears on the beach after they ward off the velociraptors, and he's like, Dr. Grant? (laughs) Dr. Alan Grant? And then, like, seven million ships show up.
1: Yeah, like, the the entire... United Nations peacekeeping force has shown up. Yeah, it's like to what? pick up like okay. five people, and also, it's just like really quick. Okay, can we mention the fact that it was hilarious when Doctor Grant calls Doctor Sattler. It's actually her son who picks up, yeah. and he's watching Barney, and that's why he gets distracted <laughs> and doesn't take the phone to his mom right away. He's yeah. watching. I just i i loved the the kid watching Barney as. Dr. Grant is on the phone with him asking for help because he's being about to be eaten by a Spinosaurus. It's just like, that's the kind of campy, like, weird shit going on in this movie. Like, the Spinosaurus sequence, legitimately terrifying, action-packed. It's awesome. But then this kids watching Barney, and they, like, cut between the two. You're like, what are we doing And Dr. Grant
0: has to say, like, (laughs) has to say, like, uh, because... it's imperative that this phone gets to Ellie mm-hmm. and he has to go like, it's the, it's the dinosaur man. It's the dinosaur man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it's just, it's, you know, ridiculous. her kid goes up and it's just like, it's the dinosaur man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, Alan, oh,
0: man. <laughs> yeah. And I aspire to one day be on the phone with someone's kid and have them call me the dinosaur man. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, honestly, I'm surprised you're not in my phone as the dinosaur man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, David, it's great to be back. It's so good to be back. I'm very glad we did this. Early in this episode, I said we would attempt not to do hour and a half episodes. We fucked up, but that's all right because I just love this. It's fun to be back. It's great to. to it is. Continue we managed to keep the plot summary short. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Our problem. So is, you know is the plot we're work summary, in progress.
0: <laughs>
1: we are a work in progress, and our work continues. Yeah. At some point, maybe we'll just accept all our episodes are an hour and a half, and maybe they'll be cut in two parts. I think there'll be not. demand. There'll be cares? demand
0: for episodes as long as possible. It'll be like the Truman <laughs> Show. People will just want us to podcast twenty four seven.
1: That whoa, that's an interesting idea. Just carry a microphone at all times, like a like a, a like a Britney Spears one. The power oh mic. yeah. Yeah.
0: So thus concludes Episode 1 of Season 2 Jurassic Park
1: the 3rd. The 3rd. We've got a lot of great movies coming down the pipe for y'all this season um and yes we're calling it season 2 because we took a couple months off while I got married and uh, a bunch of stuff was going on in our lives. Ben's got school. I'm going back to school, getting ready for that. You know, lots of stuff happening but we're going to continue pumping out real beasts episodes because uh i feel like it's my my calling at this point my vocation it's what i've been training <laughs> for 29 years to do and uh i don't know people keep listening so why not
0: <laughs> yeah well and i mean honestly boy just a lot of the stuff i've been doing has been really really hard work without that much clear payoff mm-hmm. and I find doing this to be both more fun and a lot more rewarding than a lot of the other stuff that I do on a weekly basis. So mm-hmm. I would love to take my PhD and run and try to explore more things like this as time goes on. So this is a really great experience to have, and it's a lot yeah. of fun. And I and look you're good at it. Building this kind of a
1: living document that is real beast. Yeah. So we'll continue it. We'll continue adding uh movies and ideas and conversation and everything into the internet for you all to enjoy. Um and for one day aliens to listen to you because it's being broadcast. Exactly. Into it's space. out there. It's out there. Yeah. Uh the aliens that find the what's that? The golden disc or whatever we sent out. Oh like. yeah, yeah, yeah. Golden <laughs> record, yeah. Uh the yeah, golden record, man.
0: They'll be like, let's go to Earth. That's where Real beasts broadcast from. Did you hear their latest episode? Jurassic Park 3. And I was like, but they made that episode back in 2022. It's taken 79 light years for it to reach us over here.
1: (laughs) Do you think co-hosts Ben and David are still around? We've got questions. I don't know. Are they just brains in jars now? Yeah. Oh, man. I hope so. That would be interesting.
0: Yeah, that'd be nice. We gotta preserve our vocal cords there too, though.
1: That's that's a good point. Brain's vocal cords. Uh, yeah, that's all I need. And mustache. <laughs> and, well, the mustache part of it—that's that—it's it, actually directly connected to my brain. <laughs> it just goes through into the, the nasal passage, uh, and then it's there. It's it's yeah part of your resonating chamber (laughs) exactly it goes through the mustache first (laughs) that's why i'm so loud (laughs) all right we should probably end the episode on that yeah with that y'all thanks for listening again it's good to be back we'll continue it again this year uh then it's always so much fun thanks for being here thanks for being here too david and listeners we'll talk to you soon bye